Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. Everybody having a good morning? Everybody okay? Yeah? Everybody excited to be here? I swear, if you're not excited after that last song, that's not our fault. That's on somebody else. Freedom in the blood of Jesus Christ. Like, if you're not excited about that, then I'm going to have a hard time with you today, right? We're going to have a hard time. Kim, I don't know what this light is right here. If it can stop what it's doing, that'd be awesome. Because I literally can't see. Okay. So today we are continuing um, in the our... our our series, we're going through the parables of Jesus Christ, and it's um, we're, we're learning life-giving lessons from the parables. We've been through a little bit of them. We spent the first couple of weeks, we were looking at the, uh, the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven? What's it look like? How do we live within it? Um, what should we be looking for? Does it match what? We are expecting, and if it doesn't match what we're expecting, that's that's for us to address in a just our look, not for God to switch it up so that we feel better about what He is doing. Um, and then we have gone into a couple that are about forgiveness. And Chapman Braswell last week he talked about the unforgiving servant, and we learned that as you understand. What you are forgiven of, you will in fact become more forgiving. When you realize the work that God did to forgive you, <coughs> you will in fact become more forgiving. Today we are going to look at a story with a parable in it. Uh, I, I've, I've titled this sermon, Forgiveness for Even You. Um, and you might be like, of course I'm forgivable, but... As we look, we'll see, right? Like forgiveness for even you. Uh, that's. I've really looked. It's more about the sinful woman forgiven than it is about the parable. So if you will go to Luke, take your Bible out, Luke chapter number 7. Uh, we'll start in verse 36, okay? So what are we going to answer as we're looking at this? What's the questions that we have? We're, we're getting to Luke chapter 7, verse 36. In your Bible, in your app, in your perfect memory, whatever that is, um, what what are the, what are the questions we're going to answer? And it and it comes down to the statements that I hear often. Here are the statements that I hear often: "Oh, chaplain, that Christian stuff. It's it's about forgiveness, and that's for other people. Uh, you don't really know what I've done. You don't know." Me, I'm, I'm too far gone. I'm too far gone. Uh, if I were to step into a church, I'd probably catch on fire. So it's probably best if I don't come in there. Or um, you don't know what I've done. And I can't forgive myself. So since I can't forgive myself, there's no way that God's going to forgive me. Or do you know that guy? Do you know him? You you mean to tell me that God's going to forgive him? That that person that broke up my marriage, 
you're going to forget, guys, they, all they have to do is ask and they can be forgiven? Or do you see those guys? They are disgusting. What do you mean God's just going to forgive them? You run into the Jonah problem, right? Jonah didn't want to go preach the gospel. He's like, I knew you were going to forgive them, right? And we run into all those, and that's what Jesus is going to deal with <coughs> today. We're going to deal with that as we look at this. So let me let me read this. We're starting verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him, that being Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. I always found that part kind of funny because I had a professor. It was an Old Testament professor. Every time we'd walk in, he'd be like, all right, all y'all sinners, sit down. And that was how he greeted everybody. So like whenever I see that, that's personal. Y'all just got to know me a little bit better. All right, so was a sinner when she learned that he was reclined at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, <coughs> weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If man, if this man was a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is and who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he, would, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, <coughs> Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sin? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now I read that whole story. I, I had thought a couple of times about abbreviating it and just telling you the story. But I don't think that it would do it justice because that story is amazing. If you look at what's going on, if you're trying to understand what's happening um, in this story, at the time when Jesus was walking around, there would have been societies, and it would have been like, hey, you do your work day, or you do your purchase day, or you do your market day. And in the evening, there were societies that would come together, and they would discuss theology. And the, and the idea was, hey, we're going to come into to this wealthy person's house. He's going to take us to the courtyard where all the men, and understand it's only men, would sit in a circle 
and they would try to impress each other with how theologically uh, savvy they were. They would have conversations about theology. And the, the tradition when you came to someone's house is if that person thought of you as a worthy human being, as they thought of you as a good person, is they would meet you at the door, they would anoint your head with oil, they would give you a kiss on the cheek, and they would make sure that somebody washed your feet. So, so that, you know, it's you're wearing sandals, it's sandy, let's get your feet clean, right? And that was how you showed that you were honoring somebody at the time. Well, Jesus is invited to one of these society meetings. He comes in, and nobody greets him. He doesn't get a kiss, nobody anoints his head, nobody washes his feet. They just treat him shamefully. And the idea would have been that he had been shamed. It wouldn't have been just like, oh, they forgot to meet him at the door. Poor guy. He'll be fine. No, it would have been an intentional, I am not welcoming you. You are here. And that's it. Right? Because the Pharisees would have thought, if I welcome him, then whenever he speaks, people should take notice of him. And they didn't want people taking Jesus notice of Jesus. They wanted to have an opportunity to shame him. So they shamed him. And while he is there, this woman, who is a sinful woman, sees Jesus having been shamed. And she is standing around the outside. So a lot of people, they would talk, talk theology, and there would have been an audience around the outside. So, I mean, they're not just shaming Jesus. They're shaming him with an audience. You understand this? And in seeing this, this sinful woman can't take it. This is how I see it. You might have your own perspective on why she came forward and why she went and did this, but she's a sinful woman. And she sees Jesus being shamed. And this is this, maybe I'm pouring some of my own self into this sinful woman, but this is what she does. She just cannot take it. And she comes forward seeing that Jesus is shamed and honors him. And she honors him with expensive ointment. And she honors him with her attention and her touch. And she's cleaning her feet. And all these men standing around just, ugh. You know, if Jesus was actually wise, she, he wouldn't let that disgusting woman touch her. You know what she is. Everybody in the town knows what she is. She let her hair down. Obviously, she is a sexually she's a sexually active woman, right? She is sinful in a sexual manner. How dare he even let that disgusting woman touch her? And that's when the parable comes in. That's when Jesus tells the parable. And it's interesting to note, does it say Simon said, the, the Pharisee, Simon, Simon says, huh, I just got that. Anyways, did, you, did, you, did it say that Simon said <coughs> this? No. The Pharisee thought. He said to himself, you ever talk to yourself? Who here talks to yourself? I do all the time. It's called self-talk. It's good for you. Don't worry about it, right? Talk to yourself, right? And he says, if he was, if he was a prophet, he would know this disgusting woman. He wouldn't let her touch. He's saying it in his mind. Now, that's important because that means that whatever we learn, it's not just your actions. We're talking about your what? Your thoughts. We're not just dealing with actions. We're dealing with thoughts. And Jesus says, I got a question for you. Simon, you kind of feel the area, you kind of feel the attitude in it. Oh, okay. 
You're going to bring me here. You're going to shame me. And then you're going to shame the one who honors me? i got a question for you. Two debtors. One owes a lot. One owes a little. Both are forgiven. Which one loves more? Well, the one that owes a lot would love more. Yeah, good job. She seems to love me a lot, doesn't she? You seem to love me at all. You didn't even honor my you didn't even honor me as an entrance. You seem to hate me. Meanwhile, she loves me a lot. You're forgiven to the woman. Your faith has forgiven you. Now, all the, the, why did I tell the story again? It's, it's, it's important to really just kind of get this story in, right? I think it's important to see that Jesus uses the idea of debt to make the point. Has anybody here ever been in debt? Ever? Anybody here ever been in debt? Some of y'all have never been in debt. You've never had credit card debt, never owed money on a car. Go ahead and raise your hand if you've ever been in debt. Some people have never been in debt. I am impressed with you people. Show me how you did this. Right? But there is a feeling that being in debt invokes. Right? There's this like pressure that being in debt invokes. Dave Ramsey has made millions off of helping people not be in debt anymore. Right? And then he has all these videos. I'm debt free. Like they just released from this feeling that they owe money to somebody because if you are have debt then who owns your money not you who owns your security not you and there's this feeling of i am not okay things aren't okay i got to get out of this and I, and there's also this thing where most people have been in debt their whole life right you go to college now you're in debt congratulations this is your life Right? They've been in debt their whole life. And they have no idea what it even feels like to not be in debt. Right. Now, why are you talking to me about money, Chaplain? Because this is the feeling that we have with our sin. A lot of us don't have any idea what it feels like to not be crushed by the shame and guilt of our sin. A lot of us have no idea what it feels like to have been come up somebody somebody come up and be like hey by the way your student loans <laughs> paid them man you would see some people singing and jet dancing and out in the streets right well this is well what if all you owed was a couple hundred dollars i came out of school i only owed three hundred dollars got my first paycheck paid it off somebody comes up and says hey i paid your student loan debts here they go eh. Thanks, I was going to get it in the next paycheck, right? They wouldn't really care that much about what had been paid off. Well, I think what we're going to see is that we are all the person with the high debt. We are all the person coming out of whatever we decided to do with high interest, high payment loans. We have all been snookered. We've all been grabbed by the devil. We've all purchased a Camaro for 50% interest. Every one of us did when we came into this world and decided, hey, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to do whatever I want to do to make me happy. And we have all come to a place where we are sitting there like, well, this isn't working. And I am being pressured by it. I think what we're going to have to learn, there's three lessons we're going to learn. The first one is this. Point one. There are no sinners 
who cannot be forgiven. There are not any sinners who cannot be forgiven. And I run into a lot of so, so what you're you mean to tell me that a serial killer can kill his entire life and then before he goes to Christ repent and be forgiven. You mean is that what you're trying to tell me? You mean to tell me that an adulterer can just be forgiven? You mean to tell me you fill in that that sin that you hate the most, right? You fill in that thing that you think is the most disgusting. That that sin that you you just go ahead and put that go you got it in your head? You have it in your head? The thing that you think is the most disgusting in the world. Put it in there, got it? You mean to tell me that person can be just forgiven? All he has to do is just ask. All he has to do is come to Christ, repent, and then he would be forgiven. Now here's my thing. If you have that person in mind and you can't believe he can be forgiven, then you're the Pharisee. Because that's what he has done to this woman. He has looked at this woman and says, Ugh, a sexually explicit woman. Unforgivable. Disgusting. How could she ever be forgiven? How could she even be touchable? She placed that thing that she believes to be the most sinful onto a person, uh, he believes onto this person, and then said, you are less than, right? Well, if you will, hold your finger where you are, and then turn to James chapter 2. I've got two verses I want to read to you. If you hold your finger where you are, turn to James chapter 2, and I'm going to try to teach, show you one thing, and this is the thing I would like for you to see. As pertains to salvation, there are no sins greater than the other. As pertains to salvation, there are no sins that are bigger, badder, or less forgivable than the other. Now, the Bible does have passages in there that says, well, if you lead one of these astray, it would be better for you that you be thrown into the ocean with a millstone around your neck so that he's like, you know, if you're leading people astray, that's big. I hate that. Or this is liars or adulterers. These, these are detestable. Like God says those things. I'm not saying that God doesn't say that there aren't more sins that are more consequential on this earth. There are sins that are more consequential. But as pertains to forgivability, as pertains to salvation, there are no sins that are bigger than others. So I want to read you this. This is it. James 2, and we're starting verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has been guilty of it all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So what does this mean? That means that God put a way to live in this world, right? I'm going to give you some good news, bad news, or I'm probably going to give you bad news, good news. I found that good news is always better after bad news because you realize that you need the good news, right? So bad news, good news is, is kind of how, how this goes. There are no sins. If you live your life 
and the only thing you have ever done is tell a white lie, how much of the law have you broken? All of it. I saw a reel on Instagram. Yeah, I'm on there. I saw a reel on Instagram, and there's this, this woman that comes up and says, so what's the requirement, asking a street preacher, what's the requirement to get into heaven? He says, perfection. The requirement to get into heaven is perfection. That's it. The only way, apart from a saving grace of Jesus Christ, is that you must be perfect. Why is that? That's because God is perfect. That's because God created the world to be perfect, and sin separates us from that perfection, right? I don't, if you, if God were to allow sin into heaven, how quickly would heaven turn into earth? Very quickly, right? If God were to allow imperfection to taint the perfection, what would it look like? You're standing in it. Because God created earth and it was good. And then we sinned and what happened? Now we have pain. Now we have suffering. Now we have crying. Now we have tears. Now we have sickness. Now we have anxiety. Which apparently I have as well. I've learned this this week, right? Getting worried about things. All these things, right? Well, God, according to James, according to his understanding of the gospel, if you break one rule, one, one rule, you have broken the entire law. I was watching, uh, who was it? Who was it? R.C. Sproul. I saw R.C. Sproul, and it's one of my favorite clips on this point. R.C. Sproul was asked over and over and over again. He said, but he's, he's on a panel, and they get two questions at least in a row. And they say, why is God's reaction to Adam and Eve's sin so big? Why does he react so drastically? And R.C. Sproul looking at them, he goes, wait, 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 are we getting this question again? Again? We're getting this question again? What are you talking about? God created the all cre the creator of the universe. I'm paraphrasing right now. The creator of the universe, the all-powerful the, the, the all -powerful God put dirt on the earth. And dirt looks up at God and defied him purposefully. And he looks at him and he's like, what's wrong with you people? What do you mean? That, that's a direct quote, by the way. What is wrong with you people? And that's a good question. He says, what's wrong with you people? This is the problem with the modern church is that we don't realize who God is and who we are. We are created. He is the creator. We are imperfect. He is perfect. We are dirt with life breathed into it. And he is all powerful over the universe. We look at how big the universe is and we can't fathom it. And it's just barely big enough to teach us how big God is. And we look him in the eye when we sin and we say, I'd rather not. Yeah. You do you, I'll do me, leave me alone. It's like, I, I created you. You wouldn't have life, you wouldn't have breath, you wouldn't have existence if it wasn't for the creator of the world. And you look at him and say, I'll do as I please. Even if it's just a white lie, guess what? You've broken how much of the law? 
all of it. That's the bad news. Bad news is this. If you have ever sinned, you are guilty of the entirety of the law. Which means, what was that pet sin that you had in your head that you hated so bad? That in the eyes of God, apart from Jesus Christ, you yourself are guilty of that. That's you. Now here's the good news. Here's the good news on that side. The good news is this. Because all sins are equal in the eyes of salvation, no matter what sin you have committed, you can be forgiven. Right. God's not looking down and being like, oh, I don't know, that was a big one. Right. I don't know. Romans 10, 12 through 13 says this, for this is, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. How many who call on him? All who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Every single one, every person who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What's the requirement there? Call on the name of the Lord, right? You have to look at God and say, yes, you are the creator, you're the sustainer, you are the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God of the universe, and you decided in your perfect will to save me. And I accept that. Thank you. You have to look and say, you are God. You died. You rose from the dead. You have to say, you are because you are God and because you died and rose from the dead, I make you my Lord and Savior. You can't have one or the other. It has to be both Lord and Savior. Lord meaning the, in control of my life. Savior meaning he is the one that saved you, not you. Right? right. And you say, yes. I accept that. And he says, I will save you. All. How many? All who call, all who call will be saved. So what we end up seeing is that Simon, the Pharisee in this story, and the sinful woman were equally guilty. Therefore, equally forgivable. So what do you think it is that's holding old Simon, the Pharisee, back from understanding this forgiveness. And I'll tell you what I think, since I have the microphone attached to my head. I'll say it's this. Point number two is that arrogance is a major hurdle. I'm not sure if we spelled it right. It's not up there. Cool. Arrogance is a major hurdle to knowing Christ. What really was Simon the Pharisee's problem in this story? Was it that he wasn't guilty or that he was guilty of little? Was it that he was barely guilty or didn't really do that much sin? Was that really his problem? Was his problem that he looked at his debt and said, I only owe like $200, dude, I got this. Or was it that he owed a million dollars and saw it as $200? If we look at the story and we look at what Simon did. It was in Simon's arrogance that he shamed Jesus, wasn't it? But it was in her, the sinful woman's humility, that she honored Jesus. It was in Simon's arrogance that he could not see his own sin. He didn't have any concept of it. But it was in her humility that she was distraught over her sin. It was in Simon's arrogance he was not looking for forgiveness. Yeah. It was in her humility that she was grateful 
to be forgiven. It was in his arrogance that he was cruel. It was in her humility that she was loving and sacrificial. It was in her his arrogance that Simon saw the woman as lowly, and it was in her humility that she only saw Jesus. It was because of his arrogance that he ended up not being forgivable, and in her humility, she received forgiveness. Why was he not forgivable in this situation? Was it because Jesus would not forgive him? Or because he would not deign to ask forgiveness? You see, when we look at other people and we look around and we see them like you, 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 you're gross, you're gross, you're gross, you're gross. That's where we're separating ourselves from the forgiveness of Jesus. Because we are placing ourselves above other people. Simon's problem, the reason he wasn't looking at Jesus and weeping at his feet was because he saw himself as good. D.L. Moody said, and it is one of my favorite quotes, and I used to always attribute it to C.S. Lewis, but I think D.L. Moody was actually the better one that said it. He says, you got to get people lost before you can get them saved. The reason most people don't come to Christ is because they think they don't need him. The reason most people don't pray in the morning is because they think they can handle it. The reason most people don't worship at church is because they think that the God what didn't do that much for them. we got to get people lost before you can get them saved. And the idea is this. You are guilty of the entirety of the entire law. And the wages of sin is what? Death. And that doesn't mean that, oh, one day I'm going to die. That means eternal separation from the all-powerful God. That's what that means. That is the wages. The wages means you have purchased that with your work. You did that. And God said, oh, it's okay, I'll pay it. I'll do it. You say, well, I'm not that bad. I say, have you spat in the face of an almighty God? Christian rapper Lecrae, he used to say, I cheated on God with death. That's what we do. We cheat on God with death. And then say, well, it wasn't that big. That's what Simon didn't understand. Point number three. So how do we become forgiven? It's this. Forgiveness comes through faith in Jesus. Period. Where does forgiveness come from? Faith in Jesus. Period. That's it. It has always, from the beginning to the end, from the story, he looks at the woman and says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. From beginning to end, you know, well, what about the Old Testament? The Old Testament you had to do. No, 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 Romans 4, 1 through 3. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, the father of Judeo-Christian values, the father of Judaism, the father of Israel, Jesus, God put him on the earth, said, this is how you follow me. It says, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted him to righteousness. How was Abraham justified before God? Faith. It is belief 
in God. And then we look into Romans and it says, what do we need to believe? That Jesus died, was raised, and that he is our Lord and Savior. That's it. Can you believe that Jesus is from God? He died, he rose, and that he is your Lord and Savior. Can you do that? See, that's the way this works. I believe it, then I do it. Because I believe it, I do it. It's got nothing to do with the doing. The believing does all the work. Does that make sense? I will confess him as Lord and Savior because he is my Lord and Savior. It's very easy to confess the truth. If you doubt it, it becomes very hard to confess. It is through faith that we are saved. And what purchased that? Which I have mentioned three times at this point. And guess what? I feel zero shame for mentioning the gospel of Jesus Christ three times in a sermon. Like, we get it. Jesus died. He came as God. He died and rose again. We get it. Say it again. He died, came back, rose to new, and they, they told us, guess what you got to do to believe, to be a part of my family? Believe. believe. That's it. Faith, period. Have faith, period. But guess what? We're really bad at remembering things, aren't we? We, we, we are. You say no, you are. You are. We'll be out in the world and be like, oh, man, but now, now I need to earn my salvation. Now I need to get to work. Okay, Jesus did it. He saved me. It's because of Jesus' work that I'm saved. Now let me get to work. Let me get to work. Let me go earn it. And God says, you know what? You guys are really bad at remembering the truth. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a powerful symbol that is going to remind you often of who purchased your salvation. And who was it? And how did he do that? On the cross. And before he went to the cross, he took his disciples to an upper room, to, to a special room, and they sat down and he said, okay, eat this meal. This is the meal that I want you to have. And it involves bread that is broken and that bread being broken symbolizes the fact that my body is to be broken for your sins and then I want you to drink wine in our case today it will be juice don't worry for everyone who doesn't want to drink wine we got juice right and I want you to drink it and what I want you to remember is that it was by my blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, that you have a new covenant, and that covenant is belief in Jesus Christ. And what I want you to do is remember it. And then he says, don't do it lightly. Don't do it as just a ritual. I want you to stop, and I want you to remember where your salvation came from. And it came from the work of who? And that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do to close out the service today is we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Understand, if you do not believe that Jesus is your Lord and Supper, and say, not Supper, Savior, that if you do not believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, if you do not believe that he died and rose again and you cannot confess him as Lord and Savior, then in all honesty, this, this time isn't for you. It is for Please observe. Please look. Please see what we do. But this is a very serious time for us where we say, 
Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you for doing all the work. Okay? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask those who are going to help with uh, distributing the elements to come on up. I'm going to ask you to take a moment to steady your mind, steady your heart, steady yourself. If you have sin that needs to be forgiven, ask the Lord to forgive it. If you have animosity, pray about that. If you have not been, your trajectory hasn't been one that God had called you to, pray over that. Settle yourself into the fact that God called you to follow him as Lord and Savior. And remember what Jesus did to buy your salvation. Just for a moment. As you feel you are ready, please come forward. We'll be right up here. Come forward and grab the elements and bring them back to your seat.